Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord, it's my hope that should you tarry another 10 years, that we would be instruments in your hand, that we would be a beacon of light on the corner of Bryson Livingston for your glory, God. That not that much would be made of, not of this church, but of you, God, in this place. That when people outside of our family see our family, they would say, there's a group of people that love their God and love us and love others as well. Use us according to your will for your glory, God. I'm so grateful that we have the privilege to open your word, to set it in our laps. Father, this is how you speak to us, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. That as we sang, you've opened the eyes of our heart, and now that we would hear from you, that we would see your glory, that we would in, you would impact our lives, God, that we might draw closer to you. I pray, Father, that you would help me rightly divide your word. I don't want to lead anybody astray. God, that all of us would leave this place loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We did start chapter 12 a couple weeks ago and kind of got about halfway through or so. We're going to finish it up today. But just to review, since it has been a couple weeks, pretty important chapter. As we get into chapter 12, we're headed into the last week of Jesus' life. And as John slows things down now, the next however many chapters it is that he, he, he's going to spend in the last week of Jesus' life impressing upon us. And even as we get into uh, the upper room, he's going to spend three or four chapters on just one conversation. And so John wants us to slow down, and that's how we began John chapter 12. You will recall Jesus was invited to a special dinner. And at this dinner, they say it was th- so, uh, thrown by Simon the Cyrene, There in Bethany, there was Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus, who was dead, remember that? Dude was dead, now he's eating dinner. That's pretty cool. (laughs) And they're all hanging out with Jesus at the special dinner. And Mary, in an act of worship, busts out this alabaster jar of perfume. And not the cheap stuff that you can buy by the gallon. This was special stuff that was reserved. It had cost her about a year's salary to buy this perfume. She breaks it, she pours it on Jesus, and then washes his feet with her hair. A sign, an act of worship before her God. And that's when we get introduced to the heart of Judas. Remember? Judas creeps on the scene and he's like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. That was a waste, Jesus. They should have sold that alabaster jar, gotten the money for it, and then we would have given the money to the poor. Sounds good, Judas. That's a good thing to care for the poor. That wasn't Judas's heart, remember? He took care of the money. He had the money bag for the group and had, and, 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 you know, would dip his hand in the, in the jar every now and again and, and line his pockets. Could you imagine having a year's salary of somebody you know in your pocket? That'd be pretty cool, huh? 
<laughs> what could I do with this? And, you know, so he says on the outside, hey, I'd, I'd like to uh, take care of the poor. That wasn't his heart at all. He wanted to line his pockets. From dinner, we go out and he, Jesus, jumps on um, the donkey and then rides into town. And you recall what happened? The, the group, the throng of people that were there for Passover, some two and a half million people enter into Jerusalem. Way too many people for the city, but that's about how many were there. They see Jesus riding in on the donkey. They pick up palm branches. They shout out, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they were looking for was a political deliverance. Save us from the, the hand of the Romans. Rise up and be our king, Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not a big enough plan. That's, that's, I'm sorry, that's, that's not good enough just to redeem or to save you from the hand of Rome. We need a, a grander thing. God has a bigger plan in store. And that's to redeem you from something bigger than a political situation. It's a life thing. I'm going to save you from sin. And so those that were shouting Hosanna at the beginning of the week, once they realize that he's not their puppet, by the end of the week, they're shouting, string him up, crucify him. He's not who we thought he was. And what we get in this time as he heads into town Jesus recognizes what the week is bringing, and that's his death. He knows that the hour has now come, is what he has said, and it's time for him to go to the cross. And he asks the question, a legitimate question, Father, save me from this hour. Is, is there any other way? You dads in the room, imagine your child coming to you, you knowing that your child must die. And that child, the one that you've raised and and love, says, Daddy, is is there anything else we can do? Is there any other way that this can be accomplished? Is there any, save me from this hour, Daddy. Jesus, perfectly submitted to the will of the Father, just says, but it's not about me. It's not about what I want. Father, have your way in my life. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that Jesus would be crushed. That we might have life. And Jesus says, okay. Okay. Have your way. What he reminds us of in that moment is for those of us that follow after Christ, we too have a cross to bear. We're to die daily to ourselves and to pick up our cross and to follow him. And what that means is I don't have a will any longer. Dead men walking. God, whatever you want in my life, that's what I want in my life. We're following in his footsteps. The grain of wheat must die that there might be a harvest. And that's kind of where we left off two weeks ago. Jesus is going to die, that from his death, a harvest of souls may come. So we're going to pick it up in verse 32 today, and we've read 32 and 33, but these verses really are the central theme of the chapter. 
and probably even more than that, the central theme of the book. Jesus says, verse 32, John chapter 12, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to Myself. This He said, signifying by what death He would die. So He says to the throng of people there, if I'm lifted up from the earth, meaning speaking of the death that He would die, literally off the earth, strung on a cross, if that happens, then I will draw all men to Myself. Well, did that happen? You know the story. I'm sure you do. That does happen. By the end of the week, Jesus is lifted up from the earth, literally off the face of the earth, hung on a cross, fulfilling prophecy. Therefore, He is drawing all men to Himself. He is. Why? Because He was lifted up upon the cross. So He is drawing all men upon Himself. You and I today, we're here because Jesus has drawn us. The beautiful thing is, and it's really cool, is that once we've given our hearts to Him and and placed our faith in Christ, we get to be a part of that. Through the commissioning, the Great Commission there at the end of the book of Matthew, you and I get to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded, and we're reminded that Jesus is with us always to the end of the age that we get to be a part of the redemptive story. Jesus is drawing. He continues to draw. His blood is still sufficient to save lives today. And then as the church, as the bride of Christ, we get to be have a front row seat to Jesus drawing all men to Himself. You and I have the opportunity every day with people around us to say, Jesus, you need Jesus. I'd like to show you how to come to Him. Are you willing? And then in that moment, you get to see people being drawn by the Father. It's really, really cool. He was lifted up. He does draw all peoples to Himself. Alright, so now we're going to pick it up in a new text. John 12.34 Speaking, and now the people, it says, the people answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so now the people, as they're listening to Jesus, they start thinking back to their Sunday school classes, their times of, of, of when they've been taught the law. It says, hey, hey, Jesus, um, rectify something for us here. We were taught in the Old Testament, in the law, that the Messiah who was to come is going to reign forever. It, does it say that in the Old Testament? Well, yeah, it does. In Isaiah. It says, of his government, there shall be no end. That means he's going to rule and reign forever. So if that's the case, then why must this Son of Man be lifted up? They knew what Jesus was saying when he said, I must be lifted up. They knew that he spoke of his death. There was no question there. How do we know that? Because they say, what are you saying that you're going to die? Who is this Son of Man? How does this all fit together? And what they had was part of the story. Yes, He is to rule and to reign forever. But the Old Testament also speaks of a suffering Messiah. And they chose, or maybe they they chose to ignore, or maybe they didn't know, I'm not sure, those Scriptures. You go back into Psalm 22. It speaks of Him suffering on our behalf. You look at Isaiah 53. By His stripes we are healed. 
So how could that all fit together? Well, they didn't understand that Jesus, the Messiah, has two comings. His first time, the first time He came, was as the Passover lamb, a suffering lamb, that you and I might have life, that through His stripes we are healed, but that He is coming again as the Lion of Judah, a ruling king who will reign forever and ever. And no one will take His place. And of His government, there will be no end. Jesus had to fulfill all the prophecies of the Messiah. And so He must suffer and He must die, but He will also rule and reign. So they didn't have the entire picture. Jesus answers. He says in verse 35, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And so this is a common theme in the book of John, and he frequents this. Hey, the light's with you now. Walk while you have the light. What does he say? There's a day coming when the light won't be with you any longer. And then you'll be walking in darkness. Those of you that have kids, is walking in darkness fun? No, usually there's Legos on the floor. And your feet tend to find those Legos in the middle of the night, and it's excruciating. Right? I know I've shared this before, but it's still funny, I think. Tim Hawkins talks about if we want to just get, if we want to get rid of the Taliban, all we have to do is take a bucket of Legos and throw them in the caves, and they will come up willingly. There is no greater pain than stepping on a Lego at 3.30 in the morning while you're trying to make it to the bathroom. <laughs> Stubbing your toe, or maybe, okay, those that don't have Legos, when you've found the corner of your bed, with your bare foot. Yeah, that kind of pain. Lego's ten times greater. It's not fun to walk in the darkness. I told the story first service. Um, I uh, One night this week I got up. Well, I get up before sunrise, and so I had gotten up and was getting ready, and I was making my way to the restroom, and um, there was an overturned, laundry basket in my path. Didn't see it. So I stepped on the edge of the laundry basket, almost as bad as, bad as a Lego, I will tell you. And I lost my balance. And I, that threw me into my dresser. I outweigh my dresser by a good 150 pounds. The dresser went into the wall, made this huge racket, things flying off the dresser. And I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure the neighbors are now awake because of the noise I've made. I turn around and Michelle's out cold. I'm like, and I remembered, I I snore at night. I'm not afraid to admit that among my family. I snore at night. And so Michelle has taken to wearing earplugs at night. So when I wake her up to kiss her goodbye, I said, did you hear any of that? And I had to repent, you know, from some of the words that I said. And and, uh, and I just, you know, I just want to get things right before I leave the the door, you know. And uh, and she's like, oh, I didn't hear it. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you. It's not fun to walk in the darkness. And Jesus is saying, you've got me for a little while longer. What can we take from that? What can we learn from that? 
Our God is a long-suffering God, and He is willing to work with people that are refusing Him for a time. But there is a day coming when He will grant you the desire of your heart. And if you tell Jesus enough times, I don't want anything to do with you, eventually He'll say, fine, walk in darkness. How do we know that? Well, Genesis chapter 6 would say, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is, in, he is indeed flesh. God is gentlemanly enough to grant you the desire of your heart, whether that be placing your faith in Him and He will give you Himself and you get to live with Him forever, or turning your nose at Him enough times He will eventually say, Okay. Okay. Now, He is much more long-suffering than I would be, than you would be, and He will continue to reach. But a day will come where we will not have the light any longer. Walk while you have the light. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so I know in a room this size that many of us play Christian, but you're really not. You haven't placed your faith in Christ. You don't believe in the power of the resurrection. You haven't come to realize your need for a Savior yet. The light's shining today. Why not walk in the light? I don't want you to walk in darkness. Place your faith in Christ today. Place your faith in Christ today. Eventually, the invitation will be removed. Verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Though the light was shining, they didn't follow him. They didn't walk in that light. They didn't want to see him. Interesting to note what here. Jesus performed many miracles. Some of the ones we've read about in John. He um, healed the lame man. He healed the blind man. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He changed water into wine. There's many that we read about in the other Gospels. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Lives are changed. People are raised from the dead. But they were of no significant value to those people because they did not Believe in Him because of them. People don't come to faith because of miracles. How do they come to faith? The Word tells us. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. That's why we simply teach the Bible simply. Because standing up here, giving you chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is what's going to change people's lives. Do I hope that someday that God might use me to perform a miracle, to grant a healing, to, to change somebody's life? Certainly. But is my ministry based on that? No. I just want to simply teach the Word. I look at the life of John the Baptist and what John the Apostle said about John the Baptist, the greatest man ever to be born of woman, and he performed not one miracle. 
And so if I go through my life and not one miracle happens in this church, so be it. Because I want to be faithful to pointing people to Jesus just the way John the Baptist was. Now, can God use us? Can God use us to perform a miracle? Certainly. But if He doesn't, is it the end of the world? No. Has God used us as a church to perform miracles? Yeah. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered from the bondages of sin. Amazing things. But we don't rest on those things. We rest on the lives changed by the Word of God. But he had done so many signs, yet they did not believe him. And there's for, it's for a reason, verse 38, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. That's Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to go back and read it. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't believe in the miracles. Why should we enjoy that? Why should we value that? Well, Isaiah tells us, he, he being the Lord, hardened their hearts. Who are they? The Jewish people. They rejected their Messiah. And in that, we get him. Had the Jewish people embraced Messiah, would the invitation be accepted to us, the Gentiles? I don't know. That's not the way it happened. I'm so glad the way it happened that the Jewish people said, this man is not our Messiah. Jesus is not our Messiah. We're not placing our faith in him. We're not going to walk in the light. Because in that, the invitation is extended to you and I to be grafted into the family of God, adopted as sons and daughters. The redemption invitation comes 2,000 years later on the corner of Bryce and Livingston. A bunch of Gentile folk can say, yeah, we have redemption in Jesus. We have seen our need for Him because the Jewish people rejected Him. It's a sad commentary, but at the same time, we have life because of it. Thank you, Lord, for your master plan, although I don't fully understand it. Thank you, Lord. The hardening of their hearts was that so that you and I might have hope. Look at verse, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. What? How strong is your belief if it does not impact your life? And we can look at those leaders and go, oh, come on, guys. How could you not express your gratitude to God by living for Him? How could you be afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue? Big deal, you'd be kicked out of the synagogue. Oh, wait, it was a big deal. Remember 
when Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? And then he was kicked out of the synagogue? Remember what happened to him? How we, I explained that if you were kicked out of the synagogue, it wasn't just being kicked out of church and you could go to another church. You were kicked out of society. And when you went on Monday morning and opened the doors to your shop, everybody would walk by your shop and say, I'm sorry, I can't spend my money there anymore. You're no longer part of the synagogue. And when you invited your friends over on Friday night for a game of cards or, or to enjoy a T-bone steak together, oh, I, I, uh, I've got to, I got to arrange my sock drawer Friday night. I'm sorry, I can't come. And it wasn't that you were just kicked out of the synagogue. You were kicked out of society. What I see when I see that is I see how many times I have feared being kicked out of society rather than standing for my God. And how many times I've failed my God because I'm just like them. And His grace is sufficient and beautiful. And He redeems us and He says, that's okay, I forgive you and let's try again. Let's have another day of you being available to my will in your life. He tells us why they were like that. And it's why we all are. And if you can't admit that you're like that at times, you just you need to come to that realization. That moment where you say, I don't know if I want to post this scripture on Facebook because of what my friends might say, you're doing the same thing they did. We all do it. It tells us why in verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's what it boils down to. That we look for, that we enjoy, that we strive for approval amongst our society as a greater thing than approval amongst our king. That we live for the applause of men rather than living for the well done that's coming. And it's a sin. And we fail our God when we do that. We need to repent. God, I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live for one thing. I want to honor you with my life. I want to give you everything I have. I want to follow Romans 12 and live as a living sacrifice before you, God. Giving you my time and my talent and my treasure. Investing everything I have. I've been really challenged this week. It's funny, when you teach the Word of God, how much it impacts your life. <laughs> Step up and be a teacher someday, if you're called to it. I taught out of 2 Corinthians, and Paul says, I have stri- striven, strove, strive, st- what's the past tense? Huh? Striven. I have striven. I have tried really hard to live... Don't miss this, sorry. I have tried really hard to live simply and sincerely, is what Paul says. Oh, I want that in my life. That when people see Chris Rogers, they know he is about one thing. 
And that is loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving his neighbor as his self. That's what Chris Rogers is about. That's how we live simply. That's what I want in my life so badly, is that everybody, when they see me, they would say, there's a man that loves his God and loves me too. That's how we live simply and sincerely as we pour everything we have into one thing, and that is living for not the applause of man, but living for the approval of God. Of the, for that moment when we will see Him face to face. I envision it like this. I don't know how it will go down, but I envision just the, the world fading away and us standing face to face with Jesus Christ, and He grabs us by the shoulder and He draws us into His breast. The most comfortable place you have ever been. And he separates just a little bit and he looks you in the eye and he grabs a hold of your chin. He smiles. He says, Well done. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And he, he turns and he stretches out his hand across the heavens. And he says, enter into your rest. That's what we need to live for. Not the approval of man, not the applause of man, but for that moment when we'll see him face to face. Well done. John warns us, don't chase after the praise of man. Verse 44, let's finish up the chapter. It says, then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Wow. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but of the Father who sent me and gave me a command, what I should say, what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. We've heard this from Jesus several times throughout the Gospel of John. I love it. He's just saying, I'm a guy who surrendered to the will of the Father. I will accomplish whatever the Father has for me, whatever He wants me to do. I'm not fulfilling my own commission. I'm not doing what I would even want to do, but I'm surrendered completely to the will of God. I want to do that. And he says at time, I don't even speak the words I want to speak. Or I don't even speak the, these, these words that come from my mouth. I've been commanded to speak. I'm just fulfilling the will of the Father. Jesus is the perfect example of a surrendered life. And He's our shepherd. And our shepherd leads us. And so if Jesus is the example of a surrendered life, shouldn't ours be as well?
that with our lives we would pursue righteousness, that we would invest everything we have to live rightly before our God, not living for the applause of man, but living for that approval of God, that we would seek out holiness in our lives, that those things that distract us from holiness, we would cut off. No longer living that way. And that we would be available just to say, I don't even want to say what I what my will is anymore, God. I don't even I have no desire of my own except to glorify and to honor your name with all that I am. I'm available for where you would have me go. And as I said, for most of us that means we get up on Monday morning and we go to work. And we work hard to honor our God. But as we are available to our God, opportunity will come. And maybe He sends one of us to Siberia. He's not going to send us all there. And everybody's going, Lord, I hope it's not me. (laughs) Have your way, O God. We see that in our shepherd, Jesus, where He said, Daddy, have your way. Have your way. May we follow Him in that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. My hope, Lord, is that we as a faith family, as a church, would (coughs) lay down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to our God, as our spiritual act of worship. That we would no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may see and know what your perfect will is, that we would continue steadfastly in prayer, that we would simply teach the Word simply. Father, that more people would come to know what a good God you are. And I pray that we would stop building sandcastles that with the tide will be washed away and start building in eternity. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As a church, I offer us up to say, God, have your way with us. We don't want to hold fast to the traditions of man. We want to be a sail able to be blown by the Spirit of God. Have your way with us, O God as long as it brings you glory until you bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.